0: wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Angie, and today I'm really excited to be interviewing Dr. Deborah Cottrell, she is a veterinarian here in Gainesville, where I live, at the Weston Animal Hospital. This was established in 1986. And she specializes in, of course, a large variety of animals, including dogs, cats, ferrets, rabbits, rodents, small marsupials, non-human primates, and other animals as well. But today, we're going we're to focus on talking to her about her specialty and her love and passion of working with local Florida bats. She is involved in bat rescue, rehabilitation, and education here in Gainesville and locally in Florida as well. But we have Dr. Cottrell here today to talk to us about bats. She specializes in rescuing, rehabilitating, and educating people in local Florida bats. So hello, Deborah. It's nice to see you. Thank you. You too. So uh, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with me and talk about your love and the goal is today to get more people excited about bats. Okay. That is my goal, too. So with that being said, why don't you give me a little a bit about your background and how you fell in love with bats?
0: Okay. Um, I graduated from Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine in 1980, um, having done all my undergrad at University of Texas, and moved to Florida in 1986. And opened this practice when I first opened my practice we sort of accidentally backed into caring for Florida bats because our building was originally located down the street next to a hardware store that had a cedar shingle roof and in that cedar shingle roof were about 2,000 bats oh my goodness and it was a maternity colony, and sometimes these babies fall out and end up on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And the employees of the hardware store would pick them up and bring them over and say, what do we do with these? And so we ended up with them. So you learned what to do with them. So we learned what to do with them, and it just grew from there. Wow, so
1: a lot of your work recently is all because of this hardware store. Definitely, little (laughs) Ace Hardware store. Isn't that funny how life works? Wow. Now, tell me a little bit about the bat rehabilitation and the bat house on your property and what you do
0: here for the local species of bats in Florida. Okay. When we were in our old building Mm -hmm. and we then bought this piece of property, we decided to put up a bat house. Mm -hmm. And that bat house went up before the building went up by almost two years. Um, and we actually did attract bats, and so we started with a small bat house that was already on the premises when we built the building. And when you say bat house, can you describe to the listeners what that means or how big it is? Well, the one we started with was a typical one that you can buy online from Bat Conservation International or Bat World Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It held like about a thousand bats. Okay, and it just comes and you can it structure. just comes in a box, and you hang it up. Um, oh, cool! Um, most of these places also have plans for how to build your own, but they're very labor intensive. Okay, so. If you're a, a bad beginner, like myself, let's say. You probably would not want to try building one. Okay, just get
1: Amazon to deliver it. Yes, <laughs> Very good, yes. But we, my husband and I have a lot of projects at home. We start, and then later on we uh, decide, okay, it was probably too much. Although I must say, for this past Valentine's Day, he did successfully build me a uh, small native pollinator box to attract oh, nice. local bees and we're gonna put it in our garden so <laughs> but yeah bat house would probably be too <laughs> it would be a little yeah. too much so well that's really cool and now within this bat house what kind of bats are in there
0: we have about 75 percent mexican freetails and about 25 percent evening bats okay bats are very cool about sharing quarters with other species They really? do very well yeah
1: i guess i didn't know that that's really interesting and we're very lucky here, too, in Gainesville, Florida. I think I briefly mentioned in the last bat podcast that we did that we have a very... Is it the largest bat house on the University of Florida?
0: It's the largest man-made bat house in the world.
1: Wow. And yes. Recently, I've been taking my boys there at, at dusk, and we watch all the... It's just an amazing show. Go it online
0: is, if you've... It, yeah, it's incredible. And check it out. It's, it's And because of that, as kind of a side note... now. Granted, I'm not exactly in the loop in the zoology department at UF, um, but one thing I I have always wondered about is why there doesn't seem to be more research at UF oriented to bats that could use that bat house as a fantastic resource. They don't seem to really take advantage of it. Right. I'm yeah. kind of surprised because um, I used to work with that bat house all the time. With, okay. um when Ken Glover was the groundskeeper there, basically, and I worked with him a lot, we tried to figure out why so many baby bats were falling out of it at uh, one point. Okay. And I spent a lot of time there and found out that UF doesn't seem to really want a lot to do with it to as far as research, research or anything.
1: Hmm, it's probably an issue of funding, I know, just from being maybe yeah in the animal world in general, both in, um, I'm currently in uh, the domesticated research world Uh, and agriculture there's they just keep cutting funding more and more yeah with With exotics it's even it's tough there's even less money I would imagine but but hopefully they'll someday they'll uh get some research going on there or more research maybe this will put a bug in somebody's ear (laughs) (laughs) there you go there you go definitely and we're also lucky to live near uh the luby Back conservancy yes and they do a lot of
0: research there. Luby is one of the leading bat research facilities in the world, and so many people don't even know it's here.
1: I, I, to be honest, before I moved uh, from Michigan to Florida, uh, it, was a, it was a pleasant surprise when I yeah. learned about it and when we got to visit. And, uh, it's just a really amazing facility. And for the listeners, would you mind just giving a brief description of what the Luby Bat Conservancy
0: does? The Luby Bat Conservancy is... Uh, magnificent in that it is one of the leading world researchers in fruit bats of all kinds. They do not however have much of anything to do with the Florida native insectivorous bats. They deal almost exclusively with fruit bats and we really don't have those in the US except for a specific few in the desert southwest um, that for example, pollinate the agave plant. So Mm -hmm. it's because of bats we have tequila.
1: Ah, I love that. Right, Every time you drink a margarita, (laughs) if you love margaritas out there, like me and my friends, you can thank your local fruit bats.
0: Luby traditionally has not done anything with local insectivorous bats, but they're trying to change that. And they're trying to learn a lot about how to take care of them. Um, They currently have two of our bats that uh, are on loan to Mm -hmm. them permanently or long term and they're learning to take care of and handle them. We have a small population in our reception area in a little habitat. We Mm -hmm. have three there now that I use for education. I can take them out and show them to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are bats that are uh, two injured to ever fly again, most, the yeah, most of them um, have had to have wing amputations because okay. the wings have been fractured. And so they have a job, mm-hmm. and which, they, is, great which job. is education, and mm-hmm. that's what Luby hopes to use them for as well, and eventually t- to, I think, branch out a bit into local bats.
1: Well, wonderful. And yeah, Luby does amazing research, and so hopefully they can start to explore some of the better ways to feed and care for these yep. insectivores so we can keep them under human care uh, and, and learn more about them and help some of the more endangered populations. Agreed.
0: And tequila or tequila growers, um, agave growers are wising up to the fact that they need to help these bats out. And some of them are actually setting aside a few acres and percentages of their agave plants specifically for the bats wow. to help the bats come, um, and thrive.
1: Well, they've realized it's, it's economically beneficial for them to yes. do that
0: yes. mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and, and, and with that being said, too, just to remind the listeners that insectivores, the bats that are native to North America, they eat insects, as their name so suggests. Whereas the fruit bat, which are what are primarily researched in Luby, those are often what are considered the flying foxes. They're larger. They have uh, yes the, the bigger the bigger face that looks like a German shepherd puppy. They look more puppyish. Yeah, <laughs> they're super cute. And so, and those are a lot of. Um, old world bats and we besides the ones known as sky puppies sky puppies oh i I like that too (laughs) i'm learning lots today um and but yeah so really the only fruit bat endemic to north america is the one i believe it's called the long
0: the lesser nose long tail bat i believe something like that (laughs) gotcha
1: but let's just call it the margarita bat yeah the margarita (laughs) a very important one and so and that brings me to my next question that you can maybe help answer is with bats in North America and the bats here locally here in Florida being insectivores, they're really critical. They do a job. Clearly, the yes. tequila
0: farmers have realized that. And this job is to eat insects. They eat massive amounts of insect pests. Um, the Mexican free tail bat, which is the one that inhabits the UF house mm-hmm. exclusively, they okay. don't have any other kind of bats. Okay, so no co-mingling at UF? Not that I have seen after several years of actually going up in that house and seeing them. Mm -hmm. um, My husband actually found a skull from a yellow bat in the UF bat house when we were up there working with it at one point. And that was the only time they've ever documented a non free tail in that house. Interesting. Okay. Um, So the mexican freetails do massive work for corn farmers the corn ear moth i believe it's called mm-hmm. every spring massive clouds of these moths travel across the south and go i believe to the midwest mm-hmm. and they are predated by the mexican freetail bat okay And the first time that this was ever documented was maybe five or six years ago by the National Weather Service, who viewed (laughs) a massive cloud. Like a
1: UFO. They're like, what is going on? Yes,
0: in South Texas. And they identified it, finally, as this cloud of moths. And followed close behind it was a massive cloud of bats. Oh, that yeah. were, these were this is we're talking ten thousand feet. Right. Altitude. Wow. And that's the first time that it was ever documented all these massive amounts of bats feeding on these moths. Which are doing the farmers huge favors. Huge favors.
1: I some of my literature uh, researching bats, I mean the numbers were astronomical. It was in the billions of dollars. Yes. That yes. they help save farmers in pesticides and yes. insecticides. And, and of course save us. Too. And save so so the and environment money. too, right? The sure. runoff and all of that. And so I think that that's a, a really not as well-known fact that when people think about bats, they don't always equate to them helping keep the, the pest control population down. And then right. other species of them, like the fruit, like the fruit bats or flying fox, they pollinate. They're, yes. Oh, yeah. So there's, uh, bats are really, really good for the
0: environment. The one maybe little myth that I would like to kind of address sure. um, that a lot of people have, and they believe that oh, I should put up a bat house because that'll keep my my mosquito population under control. I would love to say that's true, mm. but mosquitoes are not really bats' favorite meal. Okay, moths, darn it, <laughs> moths are their favorite. Darn it. They'll eat mosquitoes if they're handy. Okay. But I don't know that necessarily I could say truthfully that putting a bat house up in your yard is going to make an impact in your mosquito population.
1: Darn it, but I'll, yeah. still give it, I'll, I'll still perpetuate the myth and give it a try. I'll just cross my fingers because we have a Boy, we seem to have a, a lot of mosquitoes in my backyard, that's for sure. And with, with that, what are some other fun facts about the bats
0: that you work with that our listeners may or may not know? Well, here's a recently documented fun fact The Mexican free-tailed bat Mm -hmm. is not only the highest flying of the bat species; they've been clocked at 20,000 feet. That's really high. Yeah, and they are also officially now the fastest flight-powered animal on the planet. The only the only animal that's faster is a falcon, and that's only in a dive. As far as powered flight. The Mexican free tails have been clocked at 99 miles an hour.
1: How cool is that?
0: Really cool.
1: And we'd love science if they can even figure these fun yes. facts
0: out for us. So. Yeah, so they fly high and fast. If you're seeing bats in your yard, in your neighborhood, flitting from tree to tree and hunting the lights in your yard and mm-hmm. things like that, those probably aren't free tails. Okay.
1: Well, and... To tell you, Deborah, I grew up in Michigan, a farm kid, and uh, one of my favorite childhood memories is on the side of the barn at my friend's house, we had, they had a, a bright light. And so at nighttime, we would go out, and I probably don't recommend this to the listeners at home, but it helped me grow in my, and become more of a naturalist and learn about animals. But we would go out to the light, and we would take little pebbles And throw them up towards the light, and sure enough, it didn't happen always on the first try. But you have to be patient, which is a good thing to learn, I suppose, when you're a young child. The uh, bat species, and I at this point I don't know off the top of my head in Michigan summers what that would be, (laughs) but it would, and they would just dive bomb the 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 rock, which they thought was an insect, which is kind of a mean joke because. Insectivore bats use the echolocation to identify their prey, and so they were thinking this fast-moving rock was probably a juicy moth, yeah, (laughs) not a mosquito. But for me, it helped me as a young child be more fascinated with their beauty and their flight ability and this echolocation. Yeah, I can see that. You know, fascinated with the echolocation, and we never obviously, you know. Bats never got hurt. They, the rocks would hit the ground before they, you know, as they were dive, no, diving, diving for quick them. And <laughs> smart for that. <laughs> Way too quick <laughs> and smart. But it helped. It helped me, me personally, demystify some of the myths that bats are bad or scary sure. or this other folklore that gets perpetuated in our culture. Um, I do remember being a young child in, in an old farmhouse. We would get bats occasionally in our attic, come into our bedrooms or whatnot, and my mother was not a big fan of that and bless her heart and watching her kind of get super upset made me think wow or you know why are these guys so bad and I was wondering then if you could comment on the the fact that bats are known to carry rabies and I do think that people having them either in their house or even in the wild
0: that is some of the fear that maybe makes them not like bats of course and and it is a reality and we have to accept that but the reality is also that if you have a bat pop any bat population less than 0.5% of bats at any given moment may have rabies
1: oh that's a very 0.5% the, that's very the low the problem
0: is that the ones that you find on the ground that are down for some reason that increases the chance that ah, they're sick so a higher percentage of down bats are going to be positive for rabies so that kind of when that animal gets tested and it gets reinforced that oh yeah this bat had rabies then it reinforces the panic and of course it doesn't help to have cases like that recent one where the little boy died of rabies because his father didn't make him get shots even though he knew the kid had been bitten by a bat.
1: Right if you could touch on that I read Mm -hmm. about that article and I was of course appalled appalled. and so if Somebody happened to be in the wild and was bit by a bat, you would want to immediately go to the doctor, of course. And you could be treated if you if it happened to be an infectious bat, one of the 0.5 percent, you could get treated.
0: Um, well, the the post bite treatment consists of shots of globulin, okay, which is dosed according to weight and that you get it in the butt and it doesn't feel great. Ouch, yeah, that's, a, that's um, painful. But then after that first injection, it's only three vaccines, like two weeks apart. The olden days, that, mm. y- and you still hear this from journalists and in movies and on television shows, oh my God, 21 shots in the stomach if you get bitten by a rabbit animal. That hasn't been true since 1970. Gotcha. But okay. the myth is still out there.
1: Right. So people are even more or scared. Fear. Or maybe that's why they didn't maybe want to seek medical help yes. or whatnot.
0: Because the little boy was scared of getting shots and he screamed and cried and the parents relented ah. and they let the little boy control his own destiny, which was obviously not a smart idea. Sure. and But when we do hear about cases like that and then, you
1: know, it makes parents worry and it And probably, if they don't read the whole story or understand, like you said, the course of treatment, it may influence their dislike or fear of bats, which is kind of an unfair stereotype.
0: And the other problem is that, um, and I'm probably going to get some flack from the health department people on this, although I have a great relationship with the local health department. We work fantastically together. I love them. But many times, the health department also... It tends to i think exaggerate the danger of just a bat being in the same room. Okay. There is no way you are going to get rabies from breathing the same air as a bat.
1: Well, and that was the, going to be my next follow-up question is as a child growing up in the farmhouse in Michigan and the bat came in from the attic. It's yep. not going to bite me,
0: right? I mean, it's, it's not going to go out of its way to. Right. Um, the the big danger and it, it, it makes perfect sense from a public health standpoint is if this bat is found in a house and it's been alone with a child mm-hmm. or alone with someone who's sleeping or drunk or somehow uh, maybe mentally disabled and not able to understand that they've been bitten mm-hmm. in in some way then yes that makes perfect sense to be super cautious of course but the idea that you can be bitten by a bat and not know it unless you're drunk or sleeping or a child is way out of line you know it's like stapling your finger
1: I've been bit by. I have not been bit by a bat, but I've been bit by enough critters to uh, know that you typically. <laughs> you typically know geez. that you've been bitten. <laughs> oh my gosh, the bearded dragons are some of the worst. Iguanas <laughs> and aguana bite. Yeah, Ooh, those
0: hurt. But yeah, um, our one of our uh, more common species are local red bats. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, you get bitten by them. It's like getting bit by a cat.
1: Yes. Yes. It's, it hurts. You know yeah. it. Okay. Yeah.
0: And now, do you have a favorite bat species? You've been working with bats for so many years, is one. Oh, gosh. Um, I think it would have to be the Mexican freetail, just because they're not the cutest of the bats, but boy, they are the workhorse of the agricultural world. Sure, they have a job. They Mm -hmm. have a job, and they do it really well, and they are the most common species of bat on the planet. They are found on every continent except Antarctica. How
1: cool. Isn't that cool? Well, and I was reading, too, I'm not sure if it's the Mexican freetail, but certain species of insectivores... Especially if they're um, pregnant or lactating females,
0: they will eat up to their body weight oh, in yeah.
1: insects yep. a night. Yeah, that's kind of like me on Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> and what's also cool about the pregnant females is um, they can actually have a, a fairly lengthy breeding season, mm-hmm. but they have uh, the ability to have co timed uh, pregnancies developing they can I, I don't think anybody quite understands the mechanism at this point we need more re- bat research we need more research they can time their pregnancies and they do so that all of the females in a colony will have their pups in the same month all of the baby bats in florida are born from the last week in may to the last week in june that's so cool Physiology is just amazing. Even though they may breed in January or February or March, wow! So the
1: so basically, yeah, either the they either store sperm or
0: they. I believe the fertilized egg is actually stored. In the uterus okay, until... D- delayed implantation. Delayed implantation until and then, the other bats are all... And are they the all same. know how
1: to somehow talk to each other right. and say, okay, today's the day where we're... Okay, stop that delayed implantation. Yep. And let some pheromone or something. Yeah. Wow, this is so cool. See, now I have a new yeah. idea for a postdoc. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And now with the local Florida bats, we um, in your colony, you've got the free tail and what was the other one? Evening. And the evening bats. There's several other, I think about 13 uh, endemic species to Florida. Yeah, something like that. Around that. With the ones that you have in your bat house, are they threatened or in danger or how is their conservation Ours are not.
0: Oh, good. Ours are not. And that's really good. Yeah. Um, And there is also uh, one of our clients uh, who owns a piece of property not far from here who has a large sinkhole on their property. And it actually houses the largest colony of southeastern bats in the world. In the sinkhole? In the sinkhole. Now, you're going to have to explain that a little bit more. Well, uh, my husband and I have both been down it, and it it goes about 20 feet straight down Uh and then becomes horizontal and opens into a cave system. Oh wow. And he does this the owner does not advertise where it is, it's fenced off, he doesn't want people to know where it is. Okay. um, because he's protecting them.
1: And are they a population that's threatened or...
0: Not yet. Not yet, but... They may be at some point, yeah. Okay.
1: And I was reading up a little
0: bit on the... Is it the bonnet? The bonneted bat? The, the bonneted Florida bonneted, bonneted bat. bat? I've never seen one, no.
1: Well, I believe it's probably because they're endangered, right? Mm-hmm. There's not... A and board... they're mostly, as far as I know, in South Florida. In South Florida. But I, I was reading up that they're definitely... Uh, we have... Uh, they're, they've been enlisted in the Endangered Species Act. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the first bat in many years to in North America to be listed. And so mm-hmm. it does seem like that researchers and uh, scientists in the federal government are starting to at least pay some attention yes. to that species of bat. Um, yes. But like you said, too, without research, it's hard to know what the
0: numbers are or well, how to help them rebound. The other problem with bat research is every species is a little different, just right. like... All of us. Mm -hmm. And when you put in perspective the fact that on the entire planet, there are roughly 4,000 to 4,500 species of mammals. Right. Of those 4,500 species of mammals, 1,200 of them are bat species. Mm -hmm. So nearly one quarter of the animal species on earth are bats.
1: About 20 to 25%. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. It's huge. Especially for an animal, it seems to be so misunderstood.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm not talking about absolute numbers. We're talking about
1: different species. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still, yeah, I know it's really, it's really incredible and, and they're very efficient at what they do and very good at it. And it would be, it would definitely be sad to see some of the ones that are either have more fragmented populations or haven't perhaps done as well. It'd be, it would be sad to see them go. And we talked a lot on the podcast about different pressures that, Endangered species of bats right. are facing throughout the world habitat fragmentation, pollution. Um, but here in North America, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners have heard. and If they haven't, there's a lot of bat species that are experiencing white-nosed
0: white-nose syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and could devastating.
1: you devastating right? Could you uh, could you give us a little update on yeah? Um, a what is that? Of course, the disease and how is it affecting the local bats here in Florida and
0: what's being done about it? Well, the good news is it doesn't affect the local bats here in Florida.
1: Okay, that Um, is good news. I have
0: never actually seen it, and the reason for that is that it's a fungus that requires very, very cold conditions. Ah, So it's found in hibernacula, uh, uh, northern climates where bats hibernate. What's a little scary is since this was first identified, what... 10, 12 years ago now, it has progressed across the United States alarmingly. It's not fast, but it's a march. And it has now progressed all the way across the United States to the West Coast and as far south as northern Alabama in some of those bat caves.
1: And so when was the first
0: case diagnosed or understood it was first discovered in a cave in upstate New York in 2006. Oh, so
1: not that long ago. I not mean, that long ago. ago. Yep,
0: yeah. wow. And it has made a march across the United States and killed millions and millions of bats. Estimates are up to 7 million. Oh, wow. In, in some cave systems, it has wiped out 100% of the population. Oh,
1: my goodness. And what is this fungus? What does it do exactly?
0: Well, it... The main thing that it does, as as I understand it, is that it um, affects their ability to maintain their status of hibernation. And they wake up. Oh. And they wake up in the middle of winter where there's nothing to eat and they starve to death. Interesting. Okay, wow. And there I've read accounts... Of um, bat biologists who had been working with particular cave systems for years, doing bar- various kinds of research, and these guys just going, coming out of caves, crying. Oh,
1: wow! And so, where because are,
0: the the whole population this was is just dead, a catastrophe. Wow, I
1: couldn't imagine that would be so hard to see that. And so, with this being around not that long or being recently discovered and obviously very, very devastating. Are there any updates with uh, research being done to help prevent this, or where are we at with this disease? There's been
0: a lot of research done, and a lot of bat rehabilitators um, discovered Mm -hmm. on their own that they can treat individual bats um, with antifungals and topical vinegar solutions and things like that, Um, and they can save individual bats, but of course that doesn't affect the giant populations that we're talking about it doesn't make that much difference to them but um i think a lot of the original research started with antifungals and recently it was discovered that the big weakness of this fungus is ultraviolet light
1: interesting okay
0: and so now they're experimenting with pulsed ultraviolet light in these cave systems and of course they're Probably will be un- unanticipated effects. There could that uh, could affect the bats in mm-hmm. various ways. Sure. But right now, white nose is such a devastating disease that I think everybody's willing and ready to take that chance. To
1: basically try yeah. anything. Wow. No, that's incredible. And so, how far south does it come then?
0: So, uh, Northern Alabama. Oh, so it's close. Where there oh. are cave systems in Northern Alabama that are really cold. Oh. Um, and bats hibernate there Uh yeah
1: wow I guess I didn't realize it had traveled that far south
0: yeah scary
1: it is scary and now in your opinion why do you think we should help save some of these native species of bats for us here locally in Florida or for perhaps a listener in New
0: York well if just the idea that we should conserve endangered species isn't enough for you and you need concrete practical reasons Mm -hmm. insect control is of course the biggie Mm -hmm. um without bats we would be inundated with more agricultural pests yes definitely so beyond those two reasons i mean i think that's enough Mm -hmm. so
1: and and are there any other reasons that we should conserve bats in the wild or can we just put them all some yeah. in zoos
0: a big reason that we have to keep our wild populations is that par- partially because all of these species are a little bit different okay. they all have slightly different nutritional requirements and unfortunately part of insectivorous bats nutritional requirements have yet to really be researched effectively enough that we can keep zoo populations of insectivorous bats alive long term.
1: Very interesting. So at your local zoo, it's probably not very likely that you're going to see a lot of...
0: Highly unlikely that you're going to see insectivorous bats. Or North
1: American bats. Right. So once again with this, the bonneted bat in Florida, mm-hmm. we're not going to see that in a captive. We can't just put them all in the zoos because no, they don't...
0: They won't survive.
1: We don't have enough research or understanding of how to feed them properly right. or take care of them because
0: they're so highly specialized. Right. And the, the one person who does a good job of it, uh, Amanda Lawler at Bat World Sanctuary in mm-hmm. Texas,
1: okay.
0: um, and even she can't keep them alive as long as they live in the wild and she does better than anybody I know
1: better right and so in a perfect world or maybe in a perfect world we wouldn't even be having these conversations because all animals would be just totally safe and fine the world would be right very
0: harmonious um and for, for people listening, by the way, when I'm talking about keeping them alive in the, as long as they live in the wild, I'm talking about a long time.
1: This is true. Yes, we um, covered this in the podcast. Yes. They live a long,
0: long time. Long, long time. In the wild, uh, Mexican free tails can live 15 to 20 years. Yes.
1: In fact, I, I came across a really cool,
0: I love science facts, that
1: for a mammal their size, they have the the highest longevity.
0: Yes, absolutely. So cool. And I'm sure a lot of that is related to their ability to not only hibernate, but they can do this thing called torpor, which even our southern bats here do in Florida when it's cold.
1: Can you expand on torpor a little bit?
0: Yeah, if it's really cold and there's no bugs out there flying around, they can just lower their body temperature and their heart rate and their respiration and their metabolism and just kind of go into a semi-chill consciousness state where they're using almost no calories. Amazing for short periods of time.
1: What incredible physiology! Yeah, yeah, we've got to protect these guys. They're <laughs> just so cool. The more and more I learn about them, um, now I always like to ask our experts what's something the average person can do. Uh, okay. Maybe you're not a total bat lover like yourself uh, or myself, but you you want to get involved or you want to learn more about the local bats in your neighborhood whether you live in michigan or you
0: live in florida well one of the things that i have done and it's actually time to do it again um is to you can reach out to local lawn and garden services if you're in anywhere in florida okay um and don't worry so much about aesthetics. If you have palm trees in your yard and the dead palm fronds fall down. We all have them. Mm-hmm. Or vertically, and they're just kind of hanging there looking brown mm-hmm. and you don't like them, mm-hmm. leave them alone until fall because our yellow bats and red bats and seminole bats use those dead palm fronds as habitat.
1: Interesting.
0: And during the months of summer and early fall, when they have pups Uh that are just learning to fly, if you cut down those palm fronds, they fall out. We get injured moms and babies in every summer from lawn services where they've cut down the palm fronds and these bats fall out. And the the lawn service guys are nice enough and care enough to worry about it. They just
1: didn't know. They just didn't know. And so these are the ones that... They're still attached to the tree, they just hang down. Yes. And so they don't, maybe from an aesthetic point of view, they don't look beautiful. Right. But you're saying they serve this really critical importance. They're
0: critical habitat for bats.
1: Wow, interesting. So
0: that's one thing you Mm -hmm. can do. Um, And the other thing is, if you have bats in your building, um, be it house or office, contact a certified bat excluder who knows... How to properly exclude the bats from the building without harming them? Okay. Um, At Florida Pest Control locally has certified bat excluders yeah, that are certified by Bat Conservation International.
1: That's great. Advice. So I
0: highly recommend them. Um, the other thing is help down bats, many of which are just young ones who get lost and confused and don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The important thing is, yes, you can pick them up and call us. Mm -hmm. All of us, any rehabber who handles bats is vaccinated against rabies. Of course, yes. So when you pick them up, just make sure you pick them up with a glove or a towel and put them in a container. Do not touch them. Gotcha. I can't tell you how many times there have been angry parents, particularly, because they their kid or themselves, the family, wanted to save a bat, and they do the right thing, and they pick this bat up, but then they can't resist letting the child pet the bat. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. And then I have to tell them, I'm sorry, this bat that you just drove two hours to save, I have to kill and sacrifice and test its brain for rabies now.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, So don't let that happen. Yeah, don't let that happen. And now, if you did see a down bat and you were either a nervous parent or a f- not willing to or afraid to pick it up, what should somebody do? Should Can they, can we still call like uh, uh, pest services to help remove it, or a, a bat rehabilitator, will they come out to your property? Well, sometimes. sometimes but, okay. you
0: know, in our situation, it's tough. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Right. So
1: the best is just take a big blanket or a big... Yeah. Some, well, you guys don't have winter gloves down here like
0: we no, do. No, but we have, people have leather gardening gloves. Leather
1: gardening gloves, exactly, yeah. yes. And then yeah. just put in a box and, yeah, just don't, and and working historically in a lot in in the zoos, we always see, we have to put signs up that say don't touch and don't feed the animals, even right. though it should be pretty obvious, so... Uh, once again, even though, yes, they are cute a lot of times, just resist touching them, and then you won't have to worry yeah. uh, about, um, and then you'll, be, then you'll actually be helping
0: the back. Then you will be helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing, and I know this one sounds weird, but you'd be surprised uh, the how often this happens. Online, on eBay, and probably Amazon, I don't know for sure, but I know on eBay for sure, you can buy taxidermy bats that come from Asia. Oh, geez. And the sellers claim, if you talk to them, and I have, that, oh, we don't kill these bats. We just find them dead. And then we taxidermy them and we sell them and it helps support our family. That's, mm, yeah, right. that's just not true. Right. Because bats, well, bodies, especially in a tropical climate, deteriorate really fast. You Mm -hmm. don't just find dead bodies around that are suitable for taxidermy. So they're killing these bats Mm -hmm. to sell them as taxidermy specimens. And the argument that you're helping their family, I guess that could be valid to a point. So I suppose you have to weigh that. But just be aware That they're killing these bats in order to do this because you want to put one in your living room
1: right yeah i mean just maybe just
0: buy a stuffed
1: animal just buy a stuffed one or right and as far as you know helping people in um different countries i i can totally get behind that make but
0: donations was, to organizations exactly, that do that exactly exactly <laughs> um programs like kiva which do micro loans to people and help them start up their own businesses so you're not just throwing charity money at them exactly. i'm a big believer in those
1: oh me too definitely or a lot of times we'll um will give livestock to families yes yes in in haiti we've done that a lot before so um and now since you've been specializing in bats for so long and and been around with white nose syndrome and then of course created this amazing bat house here in your property and become a a specialist in our community what inspires to keep doing what you're doing
0: Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I guess it's just the fact that it's a balancing act. Um, Sometimes you get really frustrated because you can really be emotionally depressed by the badness you see around you how people treat animals i know and each other (laughs) right and we see it every day you know veterinarians are the ones that treat a lot of the fallout from that and that's that causes a lot of burnout
1: oh yeah no i applaud you i i when i was determining what career trajectory i wanted to go down i shadowed a lot of vets filed them around especially equine vets and i just quickly realized for me that i I, I love the animals, but I didn't have the, um, the wherewithal and the internal strength to sometimes either take care of the either sick or neglected right. animals. Right. And it takes really special people like yourself to, to do that every day.
0: Well, you have to be able to compartmentalize. Yeah. You have to. It it's just like um, how... In my to my mind, how does someone be a pediatric oncologist? I don't know. You have to be able to compartmentalize that, or right. you would go insane. Right. Yes. Um, and you're you have to focus on the ones that you help. The ones you save. The ones you save, and that's what I do. And I focus on the fact that I can save some of these animals, and I can educate the people who want to help them. Right. And there is an amazing number of people who want to do that and do the right thing.
1: Yes, there is. When you start looking around, that's one of the goals of this podcast is, of course, each week we discuss uh, different species and um, talk about physiology and biology, what they eat, how they breed. We talk about their conservation, whether they're endangered or not. And sometimes it is kind of doom and gloom, and, and I don't... And I'd like to, of course, we need to touch on that, but I also love interviewing people like yourself and some of these organizations we've been able to talk to in just the short time that we've been doing the podcast and hearing about all people that are doing really positive things and sacrificing a lot to help save these species, to help educate other people. I mean, the fact that you sat down with me today and I've learned so much from you is just really inspiring me to... Well, Keep helping
0: these animals. It's not just us. It's it, it's everyday people. Right. Like the lady, um, I guess it was about six weeks ago, a lady in Cedar Key found a bat. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even own a car. She had to find a neighbor who was willing to drive her an hour and a half here to bring the bat, and she did it. And she did it. Right.
1: So, yeah, those feel-good stories, we got to get more of those <laughs> yep. out that help inspire people. The little old lady that lives an hour and a half, 60 miles away-ish. Okay. Um, uh, if she can get a bat here to help be rehabilitated, then we all, we all can do right by these animals. And so I, I can't wait to bring my kids here to come see your bat house one evening. Oh,
0: it, it's great, it's fun.
1: It is, uh, for, for anybody listening locally in uh, the Gainesville and or uh, North Central Florida area mm-hmm. at uh, West Animal.
0: West End?
1: West End Animal Hospital. There is a, an amazing bat house.
0: We have a, uh, a new house that replaced our initial small one um, in 2015. Mm-hmm. And this house holds... Upwards of fifteen thousand bats. We wow. have oh, that's a lot of bats. We think we have seven to eight thousand right now, we estimate. And we actually in the summer can go up there and there will be people with vans, with the back of the van open and kids sitting there watching the bats come out at dusk because you can get very close to them mm-hmm. in our retention pond here. Um, and they'll fly right over you. That's so
1: cool. And then my last question, just thinking about Christmas presents, I can ask for being a bat house, hint, <laughs> <laughs> um, But is there any? If you do have a bat house, or for your bat house, for instance, is there any maintenance required you to like clean them
0: or? Not usually. Okay. Um, now they will require replacing every fifteen to. 20 years, depending on the weather okay. in your area, okay. because the wood will deteriorate mm-hmm. at some point. And it's a kind of a catch all problem because be- you can't use treated wood because that's not really good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you try and put things like screen on the wood, that traps guano mm-hmm. and makes a mess and the wood rots. Um, so, what they do currently is groove the slats of the wood. That's why it's so labor intensive. Um, Because you have to make grooves that are roughly half to three-quarters of an inch apart. Mm -hmm. And this particular house has, I think, 24 panels.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So that's a lot of grooving. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: a lot of grooves. Well, wonderful. And now, if any of our listeners do have a follow-up question or perhaps uh, would like to contact you, do you have either a Facebook page or a website
0: that... Yes, we have, we don't do a lot with the website okay. um, and it provides basic information for mm-hmm. our clients, but Facebook is certainly more interactive for businesses. And okay. yes, we and have how, a Facebook page. Okay.
1: And what what is the name of the Facebook
0: page? It's West End Animal Hospital okay. and uh, West End is two words. Okay.
1: Wonderful. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for talking to me today and familiarizing me with the wonderful things that are local bats here can do in florida and and all the really brave and courageous endeavors you've done in the past 20 or 30 years with bats we all thank you
0: you are most welcome